all things have become new. I no longer think the way I used to think. I no longer do the things I used to do. I don't even desire to do the things that I used to do. God has given me a new heart. He's, he's taken the anxiety, he's taken the anger and the bitterness, and he's changed it. And now, I don't know, I cry more often. I weep for people more often. God has put a tenderness in my life. He has put a gentleness in my heart. He's put love for people where I didn't love people. to Cross Connection with Pastor Jay Fulton of Cross Connection, North Jersey. Join us as Pastor Jay teaches through the book of Romans. New life begins at salvation. Christ's death, burial, and resurrection are a picture of what happens to our sinful nature when we are saved. The old man is crucified, and we are raised to life in the newness of Christ. We are a new creation, free from sin. In today's message, Pastor Jay shares his testimony and describes how the Lord transformed his life and helped him to make new choices. Christ was the perfect sacrifice for all of our sins, and his death gives life to all who believe. Now here's Pastor Jay with part two of his message entitled, Reckon the Old Man Dead. And so for each of us, God has made available his resources that we might rule over the sin in our lives. God has provided the capacity for us. And John speaks of this in 1 John. He says, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. So the resources of God that we would not be given over, that we would dabble in, that we would practice sin. And for the believer in Christ, you have that choice. For the unbeliever, they're in bondage to sin. They have no ability to stop sinning. But for the believer in Christ, we have the choice. God has given us of his spirit. He's given us instruction. And now are we going to allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify us? And what sanctification means, it's that process whereby which God, day after day, he's beginning to change us, he's beginning to mold us, he's beginning to conform us. I remember when I became a Christian, like many non-saved people, I, I had thoughts and I had behaviors that were not pleasing to God, and God began to remove those things over time. And I remember there came a point in my life where my friends would go out, and I said, I, I can't do that anymore. Now, in my heart, I wanted to do it. I wanted to go with him. I, I, had, I had missed my friends. And I had prayed, Lord, please take this desire away from me. Take it away. And what ended up happening, you know, I just began to live life and one day turned into two and two into three and then weeks went on and then months went on. And it was about six or seven months after that prayer. It, it, it had just popped in my mind. And six or seven months later, and I didn't even realize that God had taken away that desire. I didn't even know it. I, I didn't even recognize that I had lost the desire for those things. 
And so God gives us the resources. He gives us the ability to turn from those things and so that we wouldn't dabble, that we wouldn't continue in sin. And here's the reason why. Here's the basis for this position that he writes. He says, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death and that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Walking in the newness of life. And the picture is this. As a person is baptized by the Spirit into Christ, that is, regeneration has set in. We are baptized into the death of Christ. Now, typically when a person makes a profession of faith, when, when they have come to that, the realization that they are now a child of God, they are now a believer in Christ, what follows typically is baptism. And I'll say this as a note, if those of us here who are believers who have not been baptized, you should get baptized. But the baptism, the physical baptism, is a picture of the spiritual reality where we've been baptized in the Spirit by Christ. And so for us that were baptized into his death, we, like him, are raised from the dead. We are raised with a new life. And when the Bible speaks of Christ being resurrected from the dead, it's not speaking of resuscitation. It's not CPR. No, it's that Christ was raised with a new type of life. And so remember, after the resurrection, there was a new life, a new body that Christ had. In the same way, we have a new life, a new way of living. The newness of life. And it's speaking of this fresh quality of life. You know, Jesus said concerning the believer that out of this person's life or what would come forth as a part of this person's life is rivers of living water. Imagine or picture just the vitality, the nutrients, the flourishing, just rivers of living water, not dead water, not stale water. But we know what that's like. When you see puddles or you see Swampy areas and mosquitoes get settled in there, but no rivers of living water that brings forth life. And to have our life characterized in that way, that's what he's talking about, that newness of life. Where old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I no longer think the way I used to think. I no longer do the things I used to do. I don't even desire to do the things that I used to do. God has given me a new heart. He's, he's taken the anxiety, he's taken the anger and the bitterness, and he's changed it. And now, I don't know, I cry more often. I weep for people more often. God has put a tenderness in my life. He has put a gentleness in my heart. He's put love for people where I didn't love people. But this new life, and so the, the physical baptism is just a, physical representation of what's happened spiritually with us. And so Christ's death and burial, it proves that he died. You only bury dead people. And so therefore our, our burial through baptism shows that we died with him to our former sinful ways of living. But as Christ was raised, so too are we raised with a new life, a fresh quality of life. 
And a person cannot die and rise again without it changing their life. No one who's really tasted and experienced the working of God in their life can live in that way, not for long. So the new life brings about a new inner man. And so there's a real death and resurrection with Christ. It really happened. He was really resurrected. And so too are we, that we've been resurrected spiritually, that God has given us life. We should walk in that. Walk in that path of sanctification. A process, no doubt, one that we'll be going through until we breathe our last, and then we'll be glorified completely. But we've been given the power through the Holy Spirit to do this, to accomplish this. And so we have a choice. And Paul would say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so the Lord asks us this question today. Who is living? Who is governing your life? Who is ruling your life? Paul would say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Paul is saying, Paul has been put to death. And we can say that ourselves. Just put our, insert our names in there. I have been put to death. It is now Christ living through me. And so therefore, because we are buried with him, by baptism into death, and that Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. And this is the command. This is the instruction. This is what we should be doing in light of all that God has done for us. And when we get to Romans chapter 12, he's going to restate that. He's going to spend all that time up until that point showing us what God has done for us. Then he's going to say, therefore, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. It's only reasonable to do these things in light of what God has done for us. It's only reasonable. It's only reasonable. And he goes on to say, verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Well, this is true. We just spoke of that. But in verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. The old man is just another way of saying the, the, the flesh nature, the appetites and the desires and the passions that we had before we had come to know Christ. Those things have been crucified. They have been put on the altar. And that the body of sin might be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve sin. Not serving sin. Sin is a cruel taskmaster. I mean, we need not go far from this building to know and see the effects of it. We see the effects of it in people that we know. We see the, the tragedy in our world. We see the tragedy in our immediate circumstances, perhaps. The underbelly of sin the ugly side of sin. It's a cruel taskmaster. It gives the promise and the hope of satisfaction, but only leaving the person dead, only leaving the person empty, only leaving the person searching for more. And this is what the world has to offer. This is how the enemy tempts. But he says that the old man has been crucified, that we should no longer serve sin. We're not going to be slaves to sin. God has given us the power. We are freed from it. We no longer lack the ability to withstand sin. 
And verse seven, he says, for he that is dead is freed from sin. And this is the fact that we take by faith. We have been freed from sin. We have been freed from sin. And, and sometimes it seems that there are besetting sins that we just can't seem to get rid of. They seem to knock on our door at the most inopportune time. And we can't help but open the door and let it in. These besetting sins. But we have been freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dies no more. That his, his death, his atonement on the cross, once and for all was sufficient for all of us. Christ no longer has to be crucified. Because in the law, the law, they had to repeatedly provide sacrifices. Provide sacrifices and atonement for sin, repeatedly. But Christ came, and once and for all, no longer do we have to continue to sacrifice. Christ was that perfect sacrifice for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And so, Christ was raised from the dead. He dies no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he lives, he lives unto God. And here's what Paul is exhorting us to do. He says, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Reckon yourselves to be dead unto sin. That word reckon means to count. It's an attitude of faith, not feeling. When we look at the secrets of Abraham's faith, when we were in Romans chapter 4, it says that Abraham did not stagger at the promises of God. He did not look at the physical limitations of his own body. Just this attitude of faith. Though my circumstances around me say one thing, I know what the word of God has said. And so I'm going to reckon the old man dead. And the reality is we have the world and the flesh and the devil, and all three are conspiring against each and every one of us. The world to tempt you, to entice you, our fleshly desires wanting to give in to these things, and the devil to bring those two things together, what the world has to offer and the, the weaknesses of our flesh. But God is not concerned with, nor does he expect us to try to reform the flesh. And many people have tried to reform the flesh. But we need to reckon the flesh to its rightful place. No longer dabbling with sin, thinking that we can reform it, thinking that we can make it look a little better by measuring ourselves against our neighbors. And the reality is this, we know that God has given us a new nature, and yet at the same time, he has not taken this, our sin nature away. And that's why Galatians says that the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. Because before God has given us of the new spirit, we only had the flesh. And this, the flesh man would dominate. But now that God has given us a new nature, the spirit and the flesh, they battle. And God is saying, feed the spirit man that he would overcome the carnal man. And so the question is this, because those fleshly responses will come. Those desires will, will be evident in our life. But it's not so much that these things present themselves to us, 
The question is, what do we do with them? What do we do with the sin opportunity in our lives? Do we engage in it or do we push it away? I think of Joseph, remember, in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's wife had uh, essentially thrown herself at him, had really tempted him to sin. And Joseph's response was not so much that he would sin against any individual or Potiphar, but he had the recognition and the wherewithal to know that even though I might be able to get away with this in the sight of men, there's a God of heaven to whom I have to stand before. And how could I sin against God? So not reforming the flesh, but reckoning the flesh dead by faith, pushing it down. So when that desire comes, you know what? No, I have been crucified with Christ. No, and by faith. And don't excuse the sin. Don't justify the sin. Well, I get angry because I'm Irish. Or I'm volatile, you know, it's my Italian heritage. Or whatever the excuses might be. Don't excuse the sin, don't justify the sin. Well, my dad was an abuser and, you know, I picked up some of his genes and therefore, you know, I'm an abuser. I'm a womanizer. No, don't justify the sin. Don't lower the bar for sin. And what has to happen in the life of every individual is that we have to get to that place to where we hate the sin in our lives. We have to get to that place to where we hate it. Getting to the end of yourself. You know, one of the most glorious things in the life of a person is when they get to the end of themselves. It says, no more. Lord, I give up. I'm giving this all to you. It's one of the most glorious experiences a person can have. Because at that place, all the striving, all the pain, all the manipulation, and everything that goes into a life of trying to achieve, you can find your soul at rest. You can find your heart at rest. And God is desiring that each of us, day by day, will get to the end of ourselves. It's no longer I, but Christ who is living in each of us. So reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but, he says, but alive to Christ. Paul writes this in Galatians. He says, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we have a lifestyle whereby we are walking according to the will of God, we are walking in the things of God, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so for those of us, if, if we are struggling with sin or if we are dabbling in sin, or if we are just full-on rebellion in sin. God says to reckon yourself dead to sin, to repent from that, to turn from that. He's given you the, the ability and the power to do that. He's given you of the Holy Spirit. You're not helpless against sin. There is no genetic makeup that keeps you captured in sin. There are no behavioral experiences that keep you in sin. It's not the surroundings, as psychology might tell us. The power of sin has been wiped away. And the cross of Christ has not only separated us from the consequences of sin, and that's ultimate judgment, but it's separated us from the authority of sin as Lord of our lives. And then he goes on to say, verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust 
thereof. Don't let sin reign. Have dominion. Not letting sin be the boss. This is an attitude that the believer must take. Not letting sin be our master. But constantly giving it over to God. And he goes on to say, and these are three attitudes that we're to reckon, that we're to not let sin reign in our bodies, and he gives us a third one. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Your body. Give your body, give your life to honor the Lord, to glorify the Lord, the one who has created you, the one who has made you. Do not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness, given over to immorality, given over to violence, given over to anything that would dishonor God. And the power is within reach. Because the instruction is that you would not yield your, your members. And so if we have the capacity to not yield, then we should take that opportunity to not yield our members as instruments of unrighteousness. Now, there's a stream of thought, there's a school of thought, a world of thought that says just the opposite. The world tells us, do what satisfies you, do what pleases you, irrespective of what God might think or say. The thing we need to remember is that at the end of our life, we're not going to stand before another human being. We're going to stand before God. And we're going to stand before God on our own. There's not going to be a committee. There's not going to be our friends. But each and every person will stand before God. So yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. And you'll find that it is the best that a person can ever experience. To know that their lives are consecrated to the Lord, to know that their lives are being preserved for the Lord, that they're being used by the Lord. It's one of the best experiences that a person can have. One of the best. And if any of us have lived in the world for any amount of time, and we all have, then we know that we know what it's like to feel regret over certain actions. We know what it's like to wake up the next morning wishing we had never done that thing. We know what it's like to regret breaking the law or whatever the things might be. Squandered time, squandered weeks, months, perhaps years of our lives. There's no better place to be than to be a person whose life is given over to the Lord. And so as we pray, not only for ourselves, pray for the young people who are bombarded daily with the temptation to do things the way the world is to be ridiculed because they want to stand up for righteousness. God has given us the ability to do that. So let's not yield our members as instruments of unrighteousness unto God, but yield ourselves unto God. And those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. It's been said that any dead fish can float downstream, but it takes a fish alive to swim against the current. Let's be people that swim against the current of this world, alive with the Spirit of Christ, with rivers of living water gushing forth out of our lives, full of vitality, the newness of life, reckoning the old man dead. Amen. 
If you're like most people, your life is probably full of appointments each day. We rush from one place to the next. It's easy to lose sight of what's important, connecting with Jesus. That's the vision for this radio ministry, Cross Connection Radio, to connect people just like you to the cross of Jesus Christ. We know that it's at the cross where everybody can be reconciled to God. And studying God's Word is another great way to connect with Jesus. But like I mentioned earlier, I know how easy it is to rush through each day and miss those opportunities to connect with Jesus. What if you could take Bible teaching like you just heard here on Cross Connection Radio anywhere? Listen while you're making coffee in the morning or on the treadmill at the gym. Log on to CrossConnectionRadio.com and subscribe to the Cross Connection Radio podcast. Each week, new messages heard here on Cross Connection Radio and full-length messages taught by Pastor Jay are being added. Once you subscribe, you can take Cross Connection Radio with you anywhere. Again, to subscribe to the Cross Connection Radio podcast, log on to CrossConnectionRadio.com or simply search for Cross Connection Radio in the iTunes store. Thanks so much for joining us today for this edition of Cross Connection Radio.